Welcome to the Habits and Hustle podcast, a podcast that uncovers the rituals, unspoken habits, and mindsets of extraordinary people. A podcast powered by Habit Nest. Now here's your host, Jennifer Cohen. You've been in a journalist for uh, many years and you were the chief White House correspondent uh, and now you are kind of created your own platform. That must be a very big difference in terms of uh, experience with what you're doing. It's been a huge change, both in terms of like the kind of news I do and just the way I do it. I used to be on the White House lawn with like, a camera person and they did sound and like all these lights and people and producers. And now I'm at home with talking to my phone. <laughs> So it's like, definitely see change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, first of all, I wanted to ask you before I even get into all that, like to get that job, that's a very coveted position. How did you, what was the evolution of you becoming the chief correspondent at the White House? Because that's no joke. That's, you must have had a, you, I want to know your tricks and your secrets. So um, I always wanted to be a White House correspondent. Like when I got out of college, my first job was as an intern in the Clinton White House dating myself. And I noticed when I was doing that, like how powerful the press was. And I decided I want to be one of those people because what they say can actually shape policy and what happens inside this building. So that was my goal. And I was like young and naive. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I got a job. I went home. Everyone says, go local, go home. I went home and I started writing for LA Magazine, where I am from. And then I got, um, somebody told me, print is going away. You got to do TV, whatever. Like that's just didn't come true. But I decided to go on TV. I made a fake tape and like marketed myself all over the country and finally got a job in Orlando, Florida. And I moved to Orlando, Florida from LA. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anyone who knew anyone in Orlando. I landed there without any introductions. And oh, wow. it was intense. And it was amazing. And my first job was as a one-man band reporter, which means they give you a camera, they give you a map, and then you figure out the story, you drive there, you set up your own interviews, you film them, come home, transcribe them, write your script, edit it, and tape your own stand-up, which, fast forward, is what I do now. So <laughs> went full circle. Think equip me. Yeah. From there, I did like your classic news like career track where I just kept moving up to higher markets. And at every top turn, I'd say I want to cover politics and I want to get to the White House. And it's actually one of the pieces of advice I give people, which is if you know what you want, tell people. Do the work they ask you to do. Tell them what you want to do. And that's the way to achieve what your goal is, is you have to not just know it, but put it out into the world. No, I agree. Now, did you go? You went to Harvard, though, right? For college? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, listen, that's not you, you have to have somewhat of like you, you have to have some smarts as well. Right. Like you, you, you come by it. Honestly, it wasn't like pure hustle. It was you had the combination, which is amazing. Um, and so you, did you get your undergrad at Harvard? Then you came back and did this whole thing to yeah. in Orlando? Yeah, I got an undergrad at Harvard. And then I went to, I was a White House intern straight out of school. And I, that's when I was like, oh, okay, I want to be in Washington and I want to be involved in politics, but in a different way. And wow. then I decided to do this whole thing. 
so then your first this whole thing right so then so then you you kind of like work up the ranks and then you're at a abc for a long time and then you kind of just you, you want a peabody award an emmy award a gracie i saw like you're you're very accomplished and then how long were you actually at like how long were you at ch the chief uh the chief white house correspondent for so I got to the White House first at ABC News, where I was the junior White House correspondent mm -hmm. covering it for Good Morning America. And that was in 2004, right after Bush was reelected. And I covered things like the Iraq War, the surge, Katrina, um, all that period of time. And then I would one thing that happens when you're in the White House press corps is you have a, the press pool, like all the other press reporters at that time traveled together to like, if the president was giving a speech in Kentucky, you'd all get on the plane and go. Or if he's giving a speech in, um, you know, Russia, you'd also get on the plane and go. So you have all these people you're with all the time. It's your crew in a way. And I always saw how the White House correspondent for CNN had all this opportunity to cover all sorts of stories because there was so much airtime at CNN and I wanted to get to CNN. So I decided to do something that most people at that time didn't do, which is move from the network to cable. It was always considered like right to cable, and then you get to the network, and once you're on right. the network, you never leave. And you went the opposite direct. You went the opposite, which is my thing. Like then I'm at cable, and I'm like, I'm going to go on my phone. But I, I just, I kind of like you see where things are trending, right? And so why not hop on the trend? Like cable news was happening, and so um, I left CNN. I went to CNN in 2007 and this is kind of a cool story. I got there in like August and the presidential election started in November, really. And they said to me, you know, you're new here, but we want to give you a taste of the presidential election. So we're going to send you to the presidential campaign trail in Iowa, but we're going to give you this guy, Barack Obama, who's not going to be in the race for long. You know, he'll be out in a few weeks, a month or two, but I'll give you a little experience, you know. And that's how these things happen. Like I covered then Senator Obama in Iowa before he was even getting momentum. And that was just a remarkable experience. Oh my gosh. That's how, how, how was your, what was the experience? How was he that at that point at that time? Super accessible. Like we had a CNN bus that we called the election express and there's like, and we spent way too much time on it and it had a, we, do you remember that video game where you could like play? Yeah, of, course, of course. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So um, Obama's like body man used to come on and use our Wii because he'd like, you know, get a break from everything going on. So Obama came on once and did t Wii tennis and I interviewed him there and talked to him. You just like, I was like this remarkable experience for political reporters where you move there for about six weeks. And everyone in Iowa takes the, their role so seriously as a, being the first to vote that right. they're always ready to approach you and tell you what they think about every candidate. One of the things you'll get is you'll say, what do you think of this candidate versus that candidate? And they'll go, you know, I've only met with each of them three times, so I, I haven't yet formed a judgment. Three you know, times. <laughs> you had like access to Barack Obama three times, you know, so, um, but but you just saw movement happen. I remember there was a day, it was a blizzard, and we were all going into a rally that Obama was holding. And there was this like crotchety grandpa man in overalls being dragged there by his granddaughter. And he was annoyed. And he's like, my granddaughter wants me to see the celebrity. And one of the things you do is you interview people as they're walking in, 
try to get video of them reacting real time. You find them in the crowd and then talk to them as they leave to see their opinion. So I represented his crotchetiness entering partway through the event. I get video of him standing up, doing the wave. (laughs) It just, and he signed up to be a, like a block organizer for Obama. Like it just caught fire and you could see it happen there. See, I mean, so was he, he was very charismatic, I would imagine back then as well, of course. And, um, or what, I mean, you, you tell me like, did, cause of course it comes across like super like cool, smooth, you know, like, like your everyday Joe kind of deal, you know, but it's different with, from your perspective and your experience. Totally. I mean, the first thing is that he's remarkably intelligent, just like unusually off the charts kind of intelligence that is both just, you know, intellectual understanding, but also like this calm, mm-hmm. um, the way chess players can see many moves into the future. He kind of, I think, Im- takes in the world that way and can play things out. Um, and he has a sense of like, you know, change over time that gives him that calm. So that you get that vibe from him. Um, he also is hugely charismatic when he needs to be super like regular, cool when at moments, and then he can get incredibly professorial and um, monologue And so mm-hmm. I used to say, I mean, people would say, what's the most surprising thing about President Obama that people don't know? And I was like, he can be really boring. And yeah. they're like, what are you talking? I'm like, oh my God, he can just, so he yeah. On and on, yeah. <laughs> but, but like a college professor explaining to you how it is. And you're like, dude, I need a soundbite. Can you give me something? Right, 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 right. Exactly. You're good at that, though. I mean, what I like about your um, how you kind of deliver your news is that you're able to break it down in layman's terms for people. You're very good with that. I mean, you know, you do you take complex things and you make it simple, simple enough where people can understand what what the hell you're even saying. Do Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I love that you said that's my whole goal, because I always felt like when I was in Washington covering the news, we use jargon we always covered it like you've walked into a dinner party 20 minutes after it started. Yeah. What's going, what am I missing? Who's, and as a result, we leave a lot of people out, but if you step back and introduce people from the beginning, like here are the players, here's why it matters. Here's what this jargon means. You can onboard so many more people to caring and knowing and then participating and voting. And I always thought it was like crazy that we didn't make that effort. And so my whole goal is to explain the stuff in a way anybody can understand because it's not like hard to get. It's just that we don't tell you, we don't give you the tools to get it. Right. And like, if you don't have like a background to understand, you're very, you get lost incredibly oh. fast. Right. Oh. So, and especially now with there's a, so much, there's information overload, but there's you, I, I think what happens a lot now is like you tend to miss a lot of stories because you, you know, there's so much information and then you kind of are like myopic in what you know, and then you don't know anything else, which happens all the time to me. You nailed it. Like there's yeah. no way, like I have a hard time keeping on top of the information and my, yeah. that's my job. And I'm trained to be like a soldier on the battlefield surveying digital information <laughs> coming in at all times. Right. <laughs> I just do that anyway. And I miss stuff. So part of the whole, like I call it news, not noise, because my whole thing is to help you pick the signal out of the noise. Here's yeah. what I'm 
So right now then, like, let's just talk about the news for a second, because I feel now all I hear is COVID, COVID, COVID stuff, you know, uh, obviously the vaccine now, like it kind of comes in, it, it morphs itself depending on where you're at. And before it was elect, well, still is election and COVID, COVID and election, you know, and what, what, where are the gaps? Like, where is there some stories that I'm just, we're all really kind of, that we just kind of missed because we're so myopic and preoccupied? I love that question. Yes. Um, okay. And, and yet those stories did matter. They mattered. It was important and they were dominant. Um, but the kinds of stories that also matter that don't get told enough are, okay, we've covered all this drama in the White House and at the agencies, say the Environmental Protection Agency had all these scandals. Got it. But how's your drinking water? Like, what has been the impact of this leadership on you at home? Yeah. Uh, what has happened? Like, we know a lot about what Trump is tweeting. Do you know what pesticides are now legal that weren't before? And how? what kind of impact has that had? Um, there's just a story about how construction of the border wall has had these cascade effects on the environment. Um, like, what's the status of our drinking water? All these things, you know, are, are vital and crucial and we don't tell those stories enough. So part of my thing is like, I wanna reorient so we tell more of those stories. Um, and also to be honest, like eyes up a little bit, what's going on around the world. You know, it's not, yeah. yes. we never talk about, remember there were all these protests in Hong Kong? What happened, right? Like what's right. The that? Um, so some of that is the kind of stuff I try to help my audience understand and I think matters. Um, beyond that, I think some of the most important stories will be the vaccine, COVID, and disinformation going forward. So wait, I want to touch upon a few of these things. So number, the first thing is why is that? Is there like some kind of, is there somebody at the top or somewhere in these networks or cable networks saying only discuss this? Like why is it that? it's the same information like 47,000 times, but yet these like missing gaps are constant. Like, where is that coming from? Where is the mandate and why is it not changing? Um, so it's basically like any industry where something works and then everybody sees they make money doing that thing and then right. everybody tries to change to do that thing. And you're like, but I was doing this other thing that worked. And they're like, no, 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 that made money. And it's just a herd, right? So... I mean, in cable news, a couple key players decided to do one big story that the way like with cable is in particular, people focus and then to turn off, dip in and dip out, dip in and dip out. And so they repeat a lot because they are assuming you're not watching continuously. You're dipping mm -hmm. in. And, out. Um, and they decided the way to get you hooked is to create one drama around a big story that you can't get enough of. Like a soap opera. Yes, exactly like a soap opera. And they literally talk about characters sometimes, like Mitch McConnell's a character. Trump's yes. A character. These are a recurring family of characters. And you want to know what's going on with each of the characters all the time. And then somebody does that, it works, and then everybody's suddenly doing it. And what's one of the effects? I'll give you an example. Right now, as we're speaking, one of the things that gets covered all the time is that Trump is in a tantrum mood. Mm -hmm. And he's planning to try to do something to undo the vote when Congress meets in January to upset the Electoral College. It's on all day long. It all day. doesn't 
matter. The president's mood is not news, but they're so addicted to covering Trump and his drama that even now that they can let it go, they're not. Why? That's a great point. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. It doesn't matter. And still yet, he's still he's still getting the same coverage. It's like, without him, I feel like that soap opera, like they have to make money off it. They don't make money otherwise because people are, what's happening? I I think that the belief is this is how we make money. And the belief is, I don't think it's true. I don't think it's the only way to do it. So why are they doing it? Why are they giving him all this airtime even when they don't have to? Because it's one thing they know works because they know it works. It's easy and it's cheap because if you're, you know, if, if you want to go find out what's the status of drinking water in Flint, you have to send a reporter, a producer, a satellite truck, editors, overnight hotel stays, airline tickets. Think of all the things to maybe find a story, maybe not. And that's a three minute piece. But if you just want to talk about Trump's mood, all you have to do is like call some people up, ask them to drive from their home into the set and talk. And you can get in their ear and direct things for hours. You have absolutely, it's producing a, it's producing a show as opposed to sending people out to create journalism. Now, I don't want to say that alone because there's some remarkable journalism happening and especially at the newspapers. And I, I'll tell you, like my mother texted me this week to say, I've been looking at all the newspapers and I noticed nobody has the word Trump on the front page today for the first time in forever. So it's starting a big to moment, starting to change. It is. But you, I think that's a, a great way that you brilliant way to say it. Like it really is like a soap opera and it's kind of, that's why it's like they hook you in. They get you that, that, it's like that emotional juggernaut. And then you want to follow, well, what's that? Who is he going with? What's happening with her? And it is also a mood thing, right? Because it's like, it's like this up and down emotional roller coaster of where we are. And when did it change? When did it become that? Like, at what point? We, like, I feel like, was it always like that? I just wasn't aware because I was younger. What is it? I mean, the news changed at a bunch of junctures. There was um, in the early 70s, when news first started, it was a public service. It was because the government gave networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, the, the access to the airwaves. And in return, they had to create news as a public service. So it was a lost center. Then in the 70s, um, CBS created 60 Minutes and it became a profitable show and they saw they could make money off news. And that started to change how the news worked. It became more of a business. Then fast forward to the morning shows, Today Show and all those exploded, huge money makers at the same time that mega corporations bought networks. And so they weren't just networks anymore. They were subsidiaries of shareholder owned corporations that had to report profit on a quarterly basis. Mm-hmm. So ratings became part of your profit reporting. And instead of thinking long-term journalism, you thought, what do I have to do to increase the ratings today so the next shareholder report shows us doing well? Right. So that's right. something. And then when CNN came along, it made that drama thing where we were focused on one event, all like ubiquitous. That was everywhere. Yeah. And then all these other cable networks emerged and became competitive and started doing this panel discussion stuff because it's so much cheaper than being out in the world. And so you have all these forces, like the move to profit, the shortening of the amount of time you have to show your profit, right? 
and then like wanting to just do it fast, cheap and loud to drive as much ratings as possible. We ended up. Yeah. No, it's true because even with talk shows, if you, I've noticed over the time, like, you know, even they've all now evolved and morphed into, even if they're supposed to be like health related or this or that, they're all just about now, like just fighting and, you know, the lowest common denominator you can possibly find because that's supposedly what gets the ratings. Yes. It's like real housewives on all of these, on all of the talk shows. A thousand percent. And the thing to know about that is that gets the ratings from people who are home watching TV. Right. People who are on their couch flipping, maybe they'll stop. But it leaves out a huge, huge audience, which is people who are too busy to be at home on their TV, people who are on their phone. Right. And they want something different. They do not want that endless panel of people shouting. And I think that's a great opportunity and cause for hope that we can like re-engineer the way we provide information so that it's short bites that inform you and keep you feeling okay, like locked in. Like there's a confidence and empowerment that comes from feeling informed. And that's addicting. Absolutely. And that's the thing, like, I guess, and that's a good dovetail into your, what you're doing because um, that's for sure. Uh, because now, especially people are now, they want to, they want to have the, New, what do you call it? News, not noise, right? You want, you give the news, not noise, because I want to just know the news. I don't have time to kind of decipher for myself this, that, and the bias is the other problem. Like, where do you go? And that's what I was going to ask you is because, you know, every network is skewed, right? You have, and so you, sometimes I don't know who to kind of, you know, to kind of like lean towards, right? Because one says the other one's not telling the truth. One says the other one's lying. And so really like at the end of the day, I just want to have a, some news. So I, I'm informed, but I don't need to hear all the other stuff that's going around and the bias. I mean, we all have bias, right? But as le least amount of bias possible, you know? I always say like, try to be transparent, try to give people the information. And so like empower them to make up their own minds. Right. Um, it's been hard lately because, you know, it's uh, it's not a secret that President Trump lies a lot, doesn't traffic in a lot of facts. And so as a journalist, you're constantly fact-checking him and that can look partisan to people who are watching, right? Mm -hmm. He's constantly saying, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. But it's not right or left, it's just... Fact and not fact. Right. Fact, not and, fact. Exactly. And so that's one challenge is to like help the audience understand. And one of the ways I've navigated that is I say to my audience, like, this is super uncomfortable because, you know, for an another time this week, I have to come here and tell you this thing he said isn't true. It makes me feel uncomfortable that I'm constantly saying that, but that's my job. So right. here are my sources and how I know. And people respond to that. Like when I'm transparent about the larger situation it puts us in as journalists and how they might be receiving it. Well, right. That's the thing. I mean, authenticity, transparency, where do you get your sources? Like where, so let's start with that. So then you come, you, you come from this humongous job, you know, where you have a huge crew. And then you said like yourself, you then are now doing it in your backyard on your phone. I mean, that, what was that like? what was that transition like for you? And then how are you kind of doing it? Like explain the process. So I left and then I 
I wrote a novel. And while I was writing the book, which took a while, all my friends were like, it's called Savage News, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. And it was like a needed diversion. And, you know, like after all this zaniness, just like to sit quietly and write was radically changed. But um, is it based on real facts, though? Loosely? It's inspired by, you know, things that I witnessed and lived and my friends did. Okay, so just tell people. So it's called Savage News. It's a it's a fictional book based inspired by story. It's a it's a novel. It's funny. And it's about a young female reporter trying to who's serious and she's trying to break real news stories inside a network that doesn't want serious news and that wants to, you know, just get ratings. And and she is. Um, competing with like all the craziness of that, including, you know, she breaks news and does her work and her management wants to talk to her about her hair. And they're yeah. constantly harping on like, why isn't your hair looking flat or good? Or which is, there's a whole chapter on her dealing with her hair, which is very oh. real. I, lo- I, I love books like that. I love the morning show. I'm sure you saw the morning yeah. show. You, you watched it. I love stuff like that. Even if it's very loosely based, I find it to be super entertaining. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a lot of what this was. Oh, it's- I love it. Okay. So I didn't mean to digress. Okay. Continue with what you were saying. You were saying you were the process of transitioning from this big job as chief uh, White House correspondent for CNN, then now in your backyard and all that stuff. So I, I had this thesis that I told, talked to you about that the news should be told differently for this different audience. And I, I did all the things like I went and I'm from LA. So I met with producers and I met with studio people. And I was like, we should do a show that does this. And everyone's like, Oh no, no one wants news or nobody wants politics or there'll be no audience for that. Or people only want conflict or they like the panels and there's no other way to do it. And I just listened, kept going around getting no until my friends were like, stop asking for permission, just do it. And I'm like, where? And they, or like on your phone right here. And I remember I was at lunch with somebody and I she asked me what was going on in Congress and I told her. And then she said to me, you know, when are you going to start on your phone? And I'm like, I don't know what to say. And she's like, what you just told me. Like, <laughs> you just explained a thing. Do that. Um, and then one day I was, like enough people started saying it that one day I invited someone over to do help me tape this. And I was like, I don't want to do it. I changed my mind. And she's like, I'm just not leaving until you do it. So that first thing was just, that was the impossible barrier. Cause it was such a weird, and I did it in 2018. People weren't doing, I was like, nobody was doing news on Instagram then. Right. Was, nobody. I mean, at all. Um, and it was like, this is, you know, nobody's going to get what I'm doing. Uh, and somebody asked me like, how did you, keep going. And I said, well, I did the first one and I didn't die. So I knew I could do it again. <laughs> right, right, right. That's a, that's a great, a good way of looking at it, right? Like you, you didn't die. So you might as well just keep on going. <laughs> it's like nothing smote me. So yeah. Uh, and then what happened? So then like, you're like, okay, I'm going to do it again. Did you have like, how many people were, were watching it or like you and I, your friend or. I think I, I, I just sort of organically at that point had like seven or 800 followers and a couple of people messaged me like, oh, that was, what are you, you know, what are you up to? How are you? And then my few friends that were really on me to do this, like, call, like we're all so supportive that they're like, you have to do another one. And they made me do it. I mean, the funny thing was I was in my backyard when I shot it and they were like, that's amazing. 
next time maybe you want to be indoors because I look they're like it looks like you're captive in the Colombian jungle (laughs) (laughs) you live and learn I guess right yeah and so now so you do it on Patreon is that what you're doing you're I do this on Instagram and then I don't you have a Patreon account no oh you do and people support it on Patreon and then part of what you get with Patreon is I do Zooms where uh, okay yeah that's what it is. can show up and ask questions and the questions I'm getting lately are like people keep forwarding me articles saying how scared should I be about like right <laughs> and so how are you like okay so where do you so are you doing are you just a um like you're just like you're a news hound like you're going to everywhere like what who are your sources what are you doing like how do you kind of get the news that you're going to share and then break it down Well, first of all, I have relationships from having been a reporter for so long. So I talk to people and I firsthand gather information. And um, I have like a little kitchen cabinet that I, when I don't really feel a story, I'll ping them and be like, what do you think the story is today? Or should I do this or that? Um, But also it's like when you have your 10,000 hours, I just, I've built a Twitter feed. I have like a set of places, resources I go to. I just... Like I just scan the landscape in a way that is muscle memory for me. Yeah. Where I hear things and see something and I'm like, that's a story. Like that's moving away. That's moving off. We shouldn't look at that. We need to do this. Or this is right. I just, you vibe it after a while. Right. Like it's what you do. It's second nature. Yeah. And like, also it's a very, your business or uh, the news business, it's a very competitive business. I'm sure when you were doing this as a court, like are people all vying for like the first person to like break a story or like, what was that experience like? And, you know, are are you happy to be away from it or is it still kind of like that? Like, what is it? Like, tell us. You know, it's a weird combination. You're, everybody's extremely competitive to break news and book guests. That's a big yeah. thing. Like who's going to get the get. Um, but you also like live such a strange existence as a political reporter because you're like, it's incredibly intense and you're always on that. There's also a camaraderie among reporters. So you compete mm. for the scoop, but there is a really like s- supportive vibe there. Um, and it does get, you know, the, the competition is much more like inside networks or who's getting this slot or who's going to be anchoring or what is that person is there? What does that mean? They just sent them this, that story, you know, all that game happens. Right. Um, I'm glad to be out and doing my thing because I wouldn't have wanted to cover the incremental developments inside the Trump white house. I wouldn't want to be like, he's in a bad mood now, or he did this on Twitter. Just, I, I think it's noise. I don't think it helps. I think it's not the purpose of journalism, but it's hard to say that one should ignore what the president's doing. So for me, it worked a lot better, like to be outside explaining, giving people like a big picture in context, what this means, what matters, what doesn't. And, and I have one of the cool things about Instagram is unlike when I was on camera for big networks where you're talking to sometimes millions of people when the light goes off and you're done with your live shot, you've no idea how it went over. And in Insta, I'm like I say, you know, in my backyard or my room, but I immediately get like, I didn't know what that word meant. Here's an article. Oh my God. In my local community, you need to talk. And there's this conversation that happens. That's makes it all worthwhile. 
So I guess I'm going to say, do you like it? Do you like this experience? Are you having a good time with it? What are the, like, give me some things that are working well. What kind of things are like, kind of, you're still trying to figure out. It's a new, it's a new medium for you. So. I mean, the part that I love is. The instant. I I like the experience of taking something complicated and showing people they can get it. Like making it accessible. I feel like a lot of flow and joy in that. Um, I also like being able to decide. I don't have to get anyone's approval to tell, decide what my story is or what matters and what doesn't. Um, and That's a, I big love- one. That's a big one. I think just in that alone, people would be um, interested to follow a lot, follow you or like listen because right away you're not getting paid by some big, you know, conglomerate to kind of like skew the news that way. And even just like a boss to say, this is what I think is going to rate today. And it's all the things, right? Um, So for me, that's super satisfying. And the engagement with the audience, the instant feedback. Um, And it's been really lovely. Like one of the things that I found out after this year, and this was a goal, is to help more people like get engaged, register, participate, and vote. And um, at the end of the election cycle, I found out 27,000 people said that they hadn't voted in the last cycles, but did this year because of News Not Noise. So, Wow, that's a big amount. It made me really psyched. So um, those are the good things. The bad things are every decision's up to me. It's the same thing. Like, who do I go to on the days that, you know, sometimes I'm just like, I don't want to decide, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I miss the camaraderie of a newsroom and the experience of having, like, first of all, I mean, CNN is just amazing. Like, I want to do this story. And then the infrastructure and support and ability to do things there is remarkable. And just being able to go to my, you know, I used to sit in between Dana Bash and Gloria Borger and be like, you guys, do you think this is the angle or is that? And just to have the conversation. Yeah. That's the stuff I, I, I miss. Uh, and so how long, well, how long were you at CNN and when uh, did you leave in 2018? Is that when you left? I was there for, um, I think seven years and I was at ABC for four before that. So I was in DC for about like 10 years and, um, I left as, um, we were gearing up for the, I left ahead of the 2016 election. Oh, that's when, oh, okay. So what, what did you do between 2016 and you wrote the book? I know Savage News. I took a break. I took a break first. And then I wrote the book, which I thought would be really fast and turns out it took forever. It is not easy to write a novel. Oh my God. No. Did you write it by yourself or did you have help? I, I finally, what helped is that I hired an editor and anybody who's writing a book for the first time, I would so recommend it because you have someone to send pages to and then they respond and send them back just the conversation helps you get stuff done. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I would imagine I had, you know, I've written a couple few books and uh, if I didn't have the supportable, I had editors and stuff, but if I, I, I could not imagine doing it alone. It's a huge project and it takes it's time consuming, very, very time consuming. I mean, it was, yeah. And I had, I worked with a couple different editors and they were amazing. I just, yeah, if I write again, it'll be nonfiction. Yeah, exactly. So can you give me some some things? I know you said the water. Can you tell us about the water? Because I'm now I'm curious. You were saying the, the water quality of the water we're drinking. Can you give us some information on that? And 
anything else that we like beside anything about anything that, like I said, those missing gaps, by the time this airs, it's going to be probably no one's going to know anyway, but, um, a couple of things that we I can keep or we can keep our ears and eyes out for that we're just because of the how it works it's we're missing. I think that in I mean how your water is is a hyper local thing, and so we would have to answer that on a case by case. But there's still problems in Flint, Michigan. Um, there are a number of pesticides that were deregulated. That was the one by the Trump administration, one in particular that is proven to cause brain damage in children. Um, and they barred it because like migrant workers, they wouldn't want them to interact with it and bring it home to their kids. And then the Trump administration made it legal again. There are a whole bunch of things like this that have happened um, and that everybody, myself included, has been too busy to sort of find the like what's really gone on, on since this happened. The Biden administration has vowed to un undo all those things, like at restate those regulations. Um, but it's important that journalists go out and find out, you know, what has been the effect. Um, and, and, and one of the interesting things about the Biden administration is they made clear that climate change is going to be a priority in all their conversations, even in negotiations with foreign adversaries and foreign partners. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the environment and climate are going to be massive topics to follow on the domestic level, like you at home and around the globe. I think that infrastructure repairs as like sort of boring as that sounds actually isn't because it means like everybody complains about the road as they drive to work, right? Or like bridges that are so narrow that there's crazy traffic, all those things, when they talk about infrastructure, that's what they're talking about, makes your right. life clear. So my like kind of suggestion is people get interested in the stuff that might sound boring at first, but that's the stuff that is really interesting because it totally impacts your life, environmental policy, infrastructure, you know, um, immigration, these things are going to be like changing and we should all notice. Yeah. And you cover all of that stuff, right? I cover a little bit every day so that it's okay. digestible digestible okay and then so and so do you have like are you gonna have a do you have a pod you don't have a podcast that i know of do you i don't have a podcast i'm surprised because this is your perfect person to have like a news podcast to kind of that would be like an evolution of ig wouldn't it be or yeah. i just have to decide what's the next thing to do and like is it that is it yeah Where yeah those things so how do people follow you and get more information on, I mean, just tell us your information so people can kind of get, get those little news snippets and sound bites. The, no, the news, not the noise. The news, not the noise. Uh, you can find it on Instagram at Jessica Yellen, Y-E-L-L-I-N. Um, my Patreon is news, not noise on Patreon. And um, we're starting a newsletter soon. So that can come to your inbox. But the main thing is I do um, in Instagram, I do, I post to stories every day, kind of like a news roundup um, feed posts on like what's going on. And I do a video a few days a week and live interviews, um, with real experts and newsmakers about what's going on in the world. My videos aim to help break down one big topic in the news in a way that helps you both understand it and know why it matters in, to you. I love that. It's such a disruptive thing to do. I, I really kind of uh, admire that you've done it this way. It's like you came, like you said, you went from you went from um, the from 
you went to cable from the, what do you call them? Like the networks, network, sorry, networks to cable. You're kind of, you're doing everything as a disruptor and it's going to work. For, and listen, look at CNN now. It's like massive. So I, I wish you all the best when we're doing, I love it. I mean, even in those short period of time that I've known about it, I've, I've really kind of was able to kind of decipher much more in a small amount of time. So Thank you for being on my podcast, being on Habits and Hustle. And I really look forward to kind of following this journey with you. Thank you so much for your kindness and for having me on. This is really a treat. No, absolutely. I appreciate it. And don't be a stranger. Maybe you can come on once in a while and just kind of give me some like breakdown of like news. So, or all of us, because, you know, we are all, like I said, very myopic on like two topics or one. And then when we, 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 we don't know what's going on, it's actually kind of like to kind of keep us abreast of the situation, basically. That sounds really fun. I'd love it. Thank you so much. And have a great night. You too. Take care. Habits and hustle, time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind, don't stop, keep it going. Habits and hustle from nothing into something. All out, hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries, tune in, you can get to know them. Be inspired, this is your moment. Excuses, we ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle Podcast, powered by Habit Nest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.